hello, hello, hello. Welcome to our new listeners and welcome back if you have not been here before. One of the stories this week highlights how a Vietnamese hero saved a young girl who had fallen off a balcony. Among other stories, this episode will also look at new information around Egyptian mummification techniques, uh, a new super earth, a mine collapse in Indonesia, and the 300 year old art of letter locking. I'm your host, DME, and every week I bring you overlooked stories from all over the world. As you will see from this episode, the stories include the good, the bad, and the weird. With that said, let's get right into the stories for this week. Before sealed envelopes were invented in the 1830s, there was a technique called letter locking. This technique was used by everyone from kings to spies and to even lovers that were intricately trying to seal their envelopes. For example, Mary, Queen of the Scots, may have used this technique to send a letter to her brother-in-law, Henry III, King of France, in the year 1587. She reportedly folded the paper multiple times, cut out a piece of a page, and used that strand of paper to sew the letter tight with locking stitches. Essentially, the cut piece of paper acts as a lock of sorts, so it is easy enough to tell if someone tampers with the letter before it has been delivered. Letter locking is a very interesting and artistic form of security. You should take a look at the references for a picture of just how gloriously intricate these designs can get. In 2014, the team at the Unlocking History Research Group was introduced to the Brienne Collection at the Sound and Vision Museum in The Hague. This means that about 300 years later, in the year 2014, the team of researchers that came across a trunk full of 577 lock letters had no way to open them without damaging the precious historical documents. But now, for the first time, a team of 11 researchers from around the world found a way to read the secrets from 17th century Europe without physically opening the letters and the results were published last week in the Journal of Nature Communications. First, the researchers scanned one of the letters using high-resolution x-ray machine to create a three-dimensional image. This allowed them to see the writing, but because of all the intricate folding, it was actually unreadable. Then, what they did was develop an algorithm that can scan the image and then virtually unfold it until the handwriting is revealed. Nadine Ackerman, who is a lecturer of early modern English literature at Leiden University and one of the co-authors of the study, was hoping the first letter would entail some kind of real secret. But according to her, she was quite disappointed to discover that the first letter they were able to unlock was a mundane note from a French merchant in 1697 to ask for a death certificate. The first unsealed note was written by Jacques Senex in Lille, France, and was sent on July 31, 1697, to his cousin, the French merchant Pierre Lepez, who researchers have assumed was in The Hague. According to the researchers, Senex was asking about a death certificate, and Ackerman said it was pretty clear that his cousin had not answered his previous letters. Ackerman also said that the letters they had opened so far had other kinds of stories such as women writing to their lovers to let them know they were pregnant. Let us stay in the realm of things from a long, long time ago. Now we move over to Egypt to discuss ancient mummification techniques. 
In ancient Egypt, embalming and mummification were considered ancient arts and a crucial to-do as it relates to a person's quick passage into the afterlife. It has long been believed that the secrets of the art of mummification were passed down by word of mouth amongst very few and chosen individuals. So while translating a portion of the Papyrus Louvre Carlsberg for her doctoral thesis, Sophie Schwartz, an Egyptologist at the University of Copenhagen uncovered a 3,500-year-old mummification guide. And Sophie, I apologize if I mispronounced your name. The manuscript she found is almost 20 feet long, and it apparently focuses mainly on herbal medicine and skin conditions. It also contains a short section outlining embalming methods, including how to preserve a dead person's face. Ugh. Sophie translated a double-sided text using high-resolution photographs. It is the second longest ancient Egyptian medical papyrus and dates back to the year 1450 BC. This means that it is older than comparable mummification manuals by more than, and get this, by more than a thousand years. Earlier research on the ancient medical text had been complicated by the fact that it is split into multiple pieces. One is housed in the university's papyrus Carlsberg collection, while another is held by the Louvre Museum in Paris. These two segments were also previously housed in private collections, and the whereabouts of several other sections of the papyrus still remain unknown. As Joshua J. Mark pointed out for World History Encyclopedia in the year 2017, medical papyrus scrolls, like the recently discovered one, often had two sides, the recto front and the verso the back. Scribes would record most information on the front side of the scroll, but had the option of including additional details or even other texts entirely on the back. The ancient Egyptians typically preserved these manuscripts in the Par'ank, a section of temples that doubled as both a library and a learning center. The Louvre and the University of Copenhagen plan to jointly publish their perspective fragments of the papyrus in the year 2022. So you have something to look forward to if you're just dying to see what this is talking about. Anyway, cool stuff. From all things on earth to all things in the heavens, our next story takes us off to outer space. A hot and rocky planet, well, a hot and rocky exoplanet known as Super-Earth has been discovered orbiting one of the oldest stars in our Milky Way galaxy, according to a new study. It is called an exoplanet because it is located outside our ecosystem. It is called an exoplanet because it is located outside our solar system. It is also about 50% larger than Earth and has three times the Earth's mass, and by astronomy standards, that makes it a super-Earth. The planet has been named TOI-561b. The name can be shortened to TOI, using the first three letters. Unlike Earth, it only takes less than half a day for the super-Earth to complete one orbit around its whole star. The exoplanet was discovered in the thick galaxy disk of the Milky Way using NASA's planet's hunting TESS mission, which was launched in the year 2018. The name TESS is short for Transmitting Exoplanet Survey Satellites. TOI is also one of the oldest rocky planets that has been discovered so far, and according to researchers, its existence shows that the universe has been forming rocky planets since its inception 14 billion years ago. Researchers believe that the Milky Way galaxy was likely formed 12 billion years ago. The exoplanet and the two other planets discovered around it are believed to be about 10 billion years old. For comparison, our Sun, 
is believed to be about only 4.5 billion years old. The next question you're probably asking, which I had as well, was about life on super earth. Sorry to disappoint you, but according to the researchers, the planet is currently too hot to support life. Though there is some speculation that it had sustained life at some point in the past. If you would like to read the study, it has been accepted for publication in the Astronomical Journal. An illegal coal mine collapsed in the Sulawesi island located in Indonesia. Unfortunately, there were 22 people trapped when the collapse happened. Of the 22 people who were trapped, 15 were rescued, 6 passed away, and 1 was still missing at the time the story was being recorded. According to Andreas Hendrik Jonas, who is the head of the local search and rescue agency, the collapse happened because of unstable soil. Illegal or informal mining operations are reportedly fairly common in Indonesia, but these operations put workers in conditions where there is a high risk of serious injury or death from hazards such as landslides, flooding, or like in this case, the collapse of a mine. That is just the issue with structural integrity of the mine. A lot of the illegal processing of gold ore apparently uses highly toxic mercury and cyanide. These workers use little or no physical protection. Indonesia accounts for about 3% of the world's gold production, most of that coming from the Grasberg mine in Papua province that is estimated to have $40 billion in reserves and up to 20,000 workers. But there is a rise in small, often unauthorized mining in many parts of Asia and Africa. A study by the Intergovernmental Forum on Mining, Minerals and Metals and Sustainable Development found the number of people engaged in such mining has risen to over 40 million from 30 million in 2014 and 6 million in 1993. There were four explosions in Bata, the largest city and main economic hub of Equatorial Guinea. It happened on the 6th of March. According to the most recent reports, at least 615 people had been injured, out of which 299 remained hospitalized and over 100 people had passed away. A fire near a weapons depot at the city's Naikontoma military base is believed to have caused the blasts. President Teodoro Obiang Nguema, who has ruled since the year 1979 and is the vice president's father, ascribes the blast to negligence and inattention related to the handling of dynamite. He also ordered a probe into the incident. He also said that the explosion damaged nearly all the homes in Bata, a city with just over 200,000 residents. A delivery driver in Hanoi, located in Vietnam, has become a superhero after he essentially saved a two-year-old girl who fell from the 12th floor balcony. Yes, I said 12. Purported videos of the incident shows the two-year-old girl dangling from the balcony and Ma catching her just after she lost her grip. Nguyen Nyok Ma, who is 31 years old, was waiting in his car to make a delivery at 5 p.m. on the day this happened. He was just sitting there and he said he heard a child crying and a woman screaming. At first, he thought there were cries of a baby on tantrum, but soon realized a minute later that no, something was different. Neighbors from the opposing buildings were screaming in fear 
and trying to get the girl to hold on or climb back up. He rolled down his windows to take a good look, and as he looked up at the apartment complex, he saw her dangling from the 12th floor and just about to fall down. He got out of his car and jumped on the roof of the generator shed that is attached to the building. Within seconds, the toddler lost her grip and fell, but was caught by Ma just in time. The entire thing happened in about two minutes, just as her parents had gone downstairs to see off some guests. The child was taken to the National Children's Hospital, where doctors told media she had dislocated her hip but suffered no other injuries. Ma also suffered a sprain in his leg. While he is being hailed as a hero as we have done here, he is still fairly uncomfortable with the label. He believes that anyone in the same situation would have done the same thing. He also plans to go and pay her a visit once she's back home. His life has been changed forever. With so many people reaching out to send him gifts and even some making animations to celebrate his awesome, heroic, and selfless act. In the last story of this week's episode, the Egyptian Ministry of Education has approved a new school subject called Common Values. The new subject will teach about other religions, including Christianity and Judaism, to highlight the common values that they share with Islam as part of religious education in schools. This move will allow Egyptian students to study verses of the Jewish religion for the first time ever. The intent of the new subject expresses the state's keenness to spread the values of tolerance and fraternity and spread principles and values that stand against extremism and hatred. President al-Sisi of Egypt has often condemned attacks on Christians and spoken supportively about the Christian community which makes up about 10% of the Egyptian population. With that, that is the end of this episode. Remember to reflect on and cherish the small beginnings. A little does go a long way. Have yourself a good, good week. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to tune in every week for a new episode. Overlooked is a Tunica Media production, which also includes shows like Africa in My Kitchen, with more on the way. So follow Tunica Media on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter to be in the loop. Until next time, have yourself a great week ahead.